All right. It looks like we're live on LinkedIn. It always I always have this little hesitation when I get started. <laughs> is this really on? Are we really on? And I think we're really on. So uh, hey, this is really cool because I get a chance to talk with Gene Bliss, who I love this, the pioneer of the chief customer. Ooh, crazy. That is really cool stuff. So thank yeah. you for joining me. You're welcome. I'm happy to be with you today. I like the hat and the things. You're all you got it going on. Yeah, this is my my uh, my travel wear. Yeah, you know, I like to be very casual. Although all my videos, I I have the Rams hat. I'm a big Rams oh, fan. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's always there. But first of all, yeah, thanks for joining me. This is I've been looking forward to this uh, since I heard about the report and uh -huh. your analysis of the report that the uh, Oracle did. Uh, but before we jump into you know what the report is all about and some of your key takeaways and and why certain age groups may be not as uh, happy to talk to Alexa as some other ones, <laughs> <laughs> maybe you could give us a little of your personal background. Sure. I um, started in this work in the beginning of my career. I went to Land's End. I actually answered an ad in the Chicago Tribune to go train 2,500 phone operators. Wow. Right. A long time ago. And it created my whole career. I um, got moved over from training the phone operators to reporting to Gary Comer and the um, executive team. We were growing 80% a year. Gary said I was the conscience of the company to keep us real and true to how we grew up. And uh, so after that, I went to uh, Mazda Motor of America, then Coldwell Banker, then Allstate. Let's see. Microsoft. Um, so five companies reporting to the CEO are very close in the very first role of a kind of a chief customer officer. So in um, 2002, I, I left corporate and started doing the whole speaking thing and wrote my first book. I had to convince the publisher that the title of a book called Chief Customer Officer would actually have more than one person buying it. Wow. And um, it did. Nobody had really talked about these roles before. So it was, now, what year was that? Uh, the first book came out in 2006. Nice. Yeah. You were probably, probably weren't even born then. Um, oh, the gray in my beard says uh, <laughs> a little different. <laughs> um, and I've published four books now. I republished the, the CCO book in 2015 because the world had changed so much, internet, et cetera. We had gone through a financial downturn. And right. now I uh, go around the world and I coach C-suites and uh, chief customer officers on how to unite. And I have a podcast called the Chief Customer Officer Human Duct Tape Show. Human duct tape. Yeah, because that's what the word, nobody, even the CEO doesn't comprehensively see the whole customer experience. So you need somebody to duct tape it together, man. You got to get it all together and duct tape it and, and uh, be clear and get focused. That sounds good. Yeah, it's I'm very gonna, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a question about the chief customer officer role after we talk a little bit about sure. uh, some of the results. Uh, but uh, so you had a chance to, to collaborate with Oracle. Yep. on a project, you know, they kind of did the research, but you added your analysis to it. Uh, the study is called, or at least the report is called One Size Doesn't Fit All, right. the emotional and sometimes contradictory state of customer experience. That is a mouthful. It's a say. mouthful. That's a lot of stuff to try to understand. Yes. Absolutely. Now, this is a study that had a, a little over a thousand, I think 1100 folks involved. Uh, and you 
didn't necessarily do the number crunching. You did the analysis. You looked at the the results and came away with what the the things that you thought were really exciting and interesting and. And that's what I want to talk about. Yeah, no, and and they did the report, and then I gave my two cents, right? As a, as a, as as they asked me to. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting because it's a microcosm of the world we're experiencing. So. So. The biggest takeaways from this report. What let's go at the high level. What are the things that kind of stood out to you the most after you got a chance to look at this? Well, I think what's interesting is it's very difficult these days to bucket people um, absolutely into loves something or doesn't love it. So much of our own personal experiences, we were talking about the fact that some older people, older, I'm not sure what older means, right? Um, <laughs> some, some oldums, uh, older folks aren't into talking to Alexa, et cetera, but some are. And what this what this really directs for me and for as a coach companies is that like the name of the paper is you can't do one size fits all. It's not that chat is going to solve it for everybody or bot is going to solve it for everybody or a human person is going to solve it for everybody. I call this building your customer respect delivery machine where you have to offer multiple options and allow the customer to pick and choose when and where and how they're gonna interact with you. It creates a lot more complexity, but when companies finally recognize that it's not one or another thing, but you know, you probably do this yourself, you're on the phone and you also might be chatting and then you're straddling the web, right? So I, I think it's, it's really that a customer's orientation drives their, um, understanding and their comfort. And if you first start with recognizing that your job is to deliver respect, it means you need to offer these things, but also offer the customer the choice to choose which one they'll interact with you on. Yeah. One of the things that, that shows up in this report, and I've seen it kind of over and over again, is this idea that uh, customers are willing to pay a premium for good experiences today. Well, absolutely. You know, it's interesting. I was mentioning I started my career a million years ago at Land's End. We, we saw that way back in those dark ages that our product wasn't the most inexpensive, but we were building, you know, we had 98% customer loyalty and repurchase rates. Um, and there are a lot of companies out there where if you're if you're wrapping an experience deliberately around your product and your people are, then then you can uh, gain a premium. So it's it's about your product and your service and then also about your responsiveness. How much are you there for people on their terms? Because I think that's a lot of what this report is tickling out is the respect and where people feel disrespect, they look for another choice of interaction. And there's some, you know, I, I like the, the study because it kind of breaks it down and, you know, they have the overall numbers, but then they also categorize it in terms of these different age groups. Right. But one thing that carries over is trust, the importance of trust when it comes to customer experience and, and the interactions between a consumer and the vendors that they, they patronize. Uh, what anything uh, jump out to you in the area of trust? And you, particularly you look at, you know, Gen Z's, millennials, yep. Gen Xers, and baby boomers. Yeah, I would actually click together trust and values. So it was interesting is 
Think about your life as a customer. Every relationship we begin as a customer is because we chose to trust a company. We trust realtors to help us find a house. We help we trust doctors and the medical profession to make us better. We trust our lawyer or financial services people to get us in the right place. We trust insurance companies. But as we interact with them, does the paperwork, the policies, the processes say to us as customers, we trust you in return. So that's number one. I always encourage my customer, my clients to do a trust audit. Read all your stuff, all your fine print, all your policies, all your procedures. And also, are you putting your employees in a position to trust your customers? Because all of this connects. What's on the inside shows up on the outside. So if your employees don't feel you're trusting them, then because you've got so many rules and guidances, you know, how many times have you been, you know, 12 minutes late returning your car rental or two days out of warranty or whatever? And what are you interacted with? A policy cop. Mm. The other thing that I think is important about this, as you mentioned, is that as people are coming into the workforce, values and trust and what I call congruence of heart and habit is very, very much a part of their decision making. They're going to work with companies where they feel they're acting in a manner that's congruent with their own personal beliefs. And trust is very, very foundational to those beliefs. Yeah, one thing too, I'm looking at this, consumers trust sincere content that adds value to their lives. Uh, it seems obvious. That makes a lot of sense. What is sincere content? You, you know, I think that um, there's become a little bit of cynicism seeps in here. Um, even we were talking about this uh, among ourselves as, as we were looking at this is, you know, if you've got a testimonial, you want to make sure the person isn't paid for the testimonial, right? You want to make sure that these are real people and that it's not a bunch of packaged stuff that somebody's in like a machine room, you know, manufacturing content. I, I think sincere content in that context means real, true, and of the moment versus, you know, manufactured, especially as we're looking at people who are standing up and advocating for companies. Right. So I, we, we had a conversation the other day about that. You know, does that, do, is there a little bit of cynicism with this, especially younger group of people when they're reading these, these big accolades? What do you think? I think it's a constant struggle uh, to not only uh, be sincere, but to come across as being sincere because yeah. Sometimes it's the perception, even though you could be sincere for some reason, the perception may come off that it doesn't feel like you are. And that's, yeah. that's bad. And, well, so I think, you know, I think it's tough, but I think it, it's, it's something that you should strive for. You should try to always make sure that, you know, you're, you're able to not only be sincere, but, feel like you're being sincere as well. well. And I, I think words matter. You know, what's interesting is for a long time we had, when we were writing, you know, glossy brochures and copy, right? Before it had to be the in the moment, um, for a little while, some of that has slid over. But what we, what we need, for example, is when someone responds to you on chat, how does it sound? The way, the language of, you know, would you want your mom to read your invoice, right? 
are you sounding like human beings that you'd want to, you know, hang out with in, in your next door? Or is it corporate -y? Um, you know, do you write like you talk? As Gary Comer, the founder of Land's End, told me, I had been writing some copy. We all had to do everything in those days. And I was very <laughs> proud of my very corporate -y copy. And he's like, yeah, write like you talk. You talk like a human, write like a human. So I think some of that is also doing an audit. There's a there's some great companies that help kind of put your your copy and what you write through this machine. It's like an auditor that says, you know, are you are you jargon free? Are you human free? Are you human connected? You know, so there are real skills that companies can take and should take now to make sure that things that things don't sound like you're just spit firing them off and that are, that they're canned as well. What about the, do you think that as these technologies, uh, they already feel like, you know, smart speakers and, and things like that. It feels like they've been around forever, but they've only really been around for four years. They're uh, everywhere though. They're just such a part of our life. I've, I always think it's a crack up when I'm talking and suddenly my phone is collecting, you know, I didn't even intend to do it. And now Alexa is like, no, I don't have any batteries. You know what I mean? <laughs> Asking my husband to do something about batteries or something. It's very strange. Well, it's funny. It, it seems to me that, uh, you know, it didn't take long for me to, I started, I got my first um, uh, Echo device. It was Thanksgiving of 2014. So it was going on five years. Um, and, you know, at first it was like a curiosity. Right. So you can ask a question and get an answer right. back. And then all of these skills started coming out and I started being able to do things like turn my lights off or control my, my electricity or my right. heat and, and even take my blood pressure and things like that. So it seems like the more you have it, the more comfortable you get with it, the more different ways you begin to use it. Do you right. see that at, at some point, because it hasn't happening right now from a shopping perspective, do you think, we're getting closer to when people feel comfortable about not only turning your lights out or turning your heat on, but, you know, buying stuff you know, with your voice. I think it depends. Again, the answer, that's why it's interesting because so many of the answers to these questions and you're seeing it, it's sliced and diced is it depends to your point. You were an early adopter. You probably would be just fine. I, I, ha I actually, um, this week interviewed last week, the um, chief customer officer of TGI Fridays. And he oh. said, look, we're appealing to the people sitting on their couch that says to Alexa, I want my order of TGI Fridays. And it, they just have to say it to Alexa. And then they don't even have to pull their wallet out. They have to just put their thumb on their phone and zoom it's out. Or, um, um, if they know you're ordering regularly, <laughs> A text will come at five o'clock and say, do you want the same order? We're ready to go. Just push yes. And, and so I said, what about the creepy factor of that? Which I think is part of the answer. And 70% of people were not creeped out by it and loved it. So, but those are probably like you, the early adopters to this as well. I, I get a sense. And again, I think that it, there, there is some age dissection in that. You know, we were talking, I live in an environment, I'm in Seattle, you know, I'm in a very technology driven environment. So even though I might be considered old, because um, <laughs> I'm 60, oy, um, I am not, I'm an early adopter because of 
environmentally where I live, but demographically, I might be considered a later adopter. And that's why I think some of that, it depends, kicks in. How much is it a part of your life? How much are you, you know, do you have young grandchildren will, who, who will take you along for the journey? I mean, we've heard about all those stories where um, the kids are able to order everything. They're ordering, the kids are ordering stuff on right. the cookies, you know, whatever they want, movies. <laughs> uh, it's it's pretty insane. It's it's the old, it's the new version of the kid can is the only one who can program the VCR, right? Yeah. Well, how- on the VCR, remember? Yeah, I, I remember. <laughs> so, but how how much of a deterrent is you know you hear other things in the news, things that's going on with Facebook, certain things yeah. with Amazon, you know, some things with Google. I mean, they all Siri. I mean, they yeah. all have these some issues. Right. It doesn't seem to be stopping a a good number of folks from using them. But do you see these issues standing in the way long term, or is this just like any other new technologies that had to get the kinks worked out before they get they hit the mainstream? Well, I, I think that the privacy issues and a lot of these other things, uh, data issues that we're you know we're seeing we're seeing and feeling uncomfortable with, I are becoming a little bit of an underbelly of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but. If you're hip, if you're hip, if you're hooked on, <laughs> if you're hooked on calling Alexa for your TGA Fridays, are you going to stop doing it? I don't know. I mean, I think again, when this becomes a part of how we live our life, the underbelly modicum of fear or worry or concern, also our tolerance for it seems to raise. Now, I think that there have been some pretty big things, uh, you know, the whole Equifax breach and, you know, there's a lot of other things that have scared the pants off of people. Um, but, and, you know, you mentioned Facebook. I think that there has been some backlash clearly in the Facebook thing. I, I think that if it goes unchecked, people will change their behavior. Right. Um, but we we're all ramping up to have this be such a pervasive part of our life, at least the early adopters or the people in the middle with early adopters in their life. Right. Which is probably why I get dragged along for the ride. Maybe. Yeah. You're up there. You're, you're in Seattle. I mean, you got Amazon and Microsoft right in your backyard. Oh, yeah, we're, we're surrounded. We're surrounded by all of the happy technical people. So what do you tell your clients, your, 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 your big, uh, you know, the big brand clients about this? What, what do they need to know about this technology and about the experiences that can be created and, and about the, the uh, experience that their customers are expecting from them? How do they, how do they manage and deal and traverse this path of which devices and which technologies should we concentrate and build our experiences with? Well, I, I think the whole layer of permission is critical here. You know, are you, are especially as we work with financial services and other more regulated industries with a lot of, um, a lot of my clients are very large corporate clients who, and some who have lots of things in the cloud, you know, so there's always going to be the protection layer around what we're doing to protect you and the options that you have to opt in and out. And they are, the biggest companies and and a lot of what that's the very first 
I think, stair step to this. And what I've seen in the clients I'm working with is people are very, very um, conscientious about building that layer in and not overstepping the bounds of being pervasive into people's life. You know, I mean, I, when I'm making a joke about the conversation with, is this creepy? What we know is people are, you have to really practice permission marketing. And then you also have to give people options and be swift about when they want to opt out, get them out. Right. I mean, you know, when you opt out, even of something as simple as a newsletter, so old school, right. If you keep getting those emails, you're like, what? I yeah. Like, how many times have I opted out of this thing? Yeah. So I think the the biggest thing is connecting all those databases so you have one version of the truth of who your customer is. And that is the biggest challenge that companies are facing, quite honestly, is integrating that all that data. It's churning through butter and making sure you don't have five versions of a customer name or a customer file. I mean, you know, these are just the... The, the things that are legacy issues that, that go along with companies. And so the biggest companies, th those are their biggest issues is the, in, the, the connecting it all, um, having one nomenclature where it all starts to play together so that if you're opting in or out or you're giving permission, you don't have to give permission for every channel. Right now, we're having to ask for permission by channel, right? So mm -hmm. we're channel relationally versus company relation. And I, I think, I mean, I'm okay with that. I, I, I don't, it doesn't bug me too much because I know the underpinning of why they're having to ask. And I'd rather have them ask my channel right now while they work out their, their data integration. I mean, have you seen that as well? I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Well, what I see mostly is when they, and this is, it's not, related specifically to, to some of these technologies that we're talking about, but it's always kind of the, the, the new technology or the new channel is typically focus is going to be on being more productive and efficient doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, eventually they're kind of forced to get around to, all right, this new tech technology is not just for, being more efficient and more productive. You can actually innovate. You can actually do different things with it. Yep. And those different things are probably going to be driven by customers demanding services and experiences that fit the new things that can be done, not just the things that have always been done with it. Well, and, and the approach that we're taking to customer experience really is important too, which is it's, you know, remember when mobile first became the big thing, we had complete groups that focused only on mobile and right. the rest of the customer experiences did not click in or connect. Now what we know is we're starting with customer goals and saying in order for the customer to achieve this goal, mobile has a place, chat has a place, people have a place, sales has a place. How will we integrate that? But that is a very different starting point than we were five years ago. And so what we're doing now is not starting with the technology. We're starting with the customer and the life. And not everybody can do that, right? That's why we like chief customer officers, at least for a period of time, because you're the glue. You know, we need the glue or the duct tape. And uh, that's you need that unifying approach. All right. So I have to ask. Yes. Uh, you, you have this chief customer 
officer role that you've championed over the years. Yep. Uh, over several years now. I said 2006. Uh, 35 years. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been doing it for so long. I need a cane. No. <laughs> you do not need a cane. Um, all right. So, you don't know what I'm sitting in over here. I'm just kidding. So in 2019, where is the role of the chief customer officer in the modern business? Well, what's happening is um, uh, really interesting evolution. So many of them are now taking on the uh, chief people officer role as part of it. So we have many chief customer officers who are like an EVP of experience that is customer experience and employee experience because they, they're, they're inextricably linked. What's on the inside shows up on the outside. We also are... Uh, seeing chief customer officers um, move out to become chief ch CEOs or chief operating officers. It's becoming a, a very good um, springboard because when you think about an organization, maybe the chief technology officer, maybe the chief financial officer, not the CEO because he gets presented silo by silo. There's very few people in the organization who have that comprehensive view, and then also teaches the organization disciplined decision-making to focus, to seek, and to prioritize. So it the skills that are required for this role are uh, quite interesting. And it's also about being a noble statesman. When you are a chief customer officer, it's about checking your ego at the door and enabling others to be successful, put the spotlight on others. And so what we find is the best chief customer officers have been very, very good, strong leaders. And it's at a point in their career where they're also fearless. You know, mm -hmm. I have, for example, coached the president of North America for a company into becoming the global worldwide chief customer officer. Wow. At a multi-billion dollar software company, I coached the chief information officer to become the chief customer officer. So it's an interesting uh, role and it's, it's not always necessarily an always role. As you embed these skills and the way for the company to work differently, over time, there is a, there is a possibility they could work their way out of a job, but it's, you know, five to seven to eight years. Cause we're, we're turning a ship around. So aren't you glad you asked? <laughs> I actually am. Cause it makes me want to ask, are chief customer officers uh, early tech adopters or are they more pragmatic about technology? Or Well, we always link arms with technology, folks. The cool thing about it is often technology doesn't have a seat at the table until later. What this is a, is an inclusive approach where the tech folks, because if you're thinking customer focused, tech has got to be part of the solution, not an afterthought. And so, um, you know, what we're finding is that it is very much a link. And, and the other thing about the role is they have to unite the C-suite into what I call first one version of the truth. What are we currently delivering to customers? Because every great silo leader slides in based on their red, yellow and green dots connected to their KPIs. Mm. And um, so that uniting and unifying becomes a really important part of the work. It's very fun. Yeah. I, 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 I can't. 
you. I can't ask you all the questions I have because we're running out of time. But our well, chief I have 160 podcast shows. You can have at yeah. it. Are <laughs> chief customer officers more right brain or left brain? Uh, they're a combination. They mm. must be. So here's why. They have to paint the dream, but they have to also show the ROI data and be able to facilitate the organization with analytics. So you need to be Tom Sawyer to get everybody to want to paint your fence, but you need to, to know that marketing needs to hear it a different way than your CFO needs to hear it, et cetera. So it is change management, but also very much analytics and other things. I was um, interviewing someone today who is in the CPG space, consumer um, product package goods. And um, a lot of consumer packaged goods companies now are blending the chief customer officer role with the sales role because CPG has traditionally been a sales play where you're going in and selling to the grocery stores or whatever. But now they're recognizing to grow more ardently and organically, we have to start with customers' goals and partner with them. So it's more than just filling your shelf. It's also starting with how do you want to grow? What's important to you to grow? Can we bring you trends about cheese or whatever the category is that we were talking about the guy selling those little baby bells and those those cute little cheeses that was the guy today so it's it's uh fascinating it's very fascinating it's my right. life's work so i'm wrapping this up i'm gonna bring it back to the report back yep so when your next meeting with a big time chief customer officer you walk in with this report and you say to the, the chief customer officer, here's this report, but here are the two things I think you should take away with after you read this report. What do you tell them? Uh, you know, I think it's, you've got to recognize that your, your customers need a level of, a, a very strong level of confidence in how you're managing their data from a trust standpoint. And then secondly, um, you need to recognize that there are groups of customers, but what's interesting is their behavior is going to expose to you how they want to be handled and treated. But know that you need to create a baseline respect delivery to give them the ability to opt in and out. But then don't rely on surveys as much as their behavior to know how to continue to modulate and customize so that you're in the moment. Because if you're a technology adopter, you're going to expect companies to also ebb and flow pretty quickly. All and right. Well, real time listening is important. Yeah. Sorry. Jean, this has been really fun. I really enjoyed talking with you. Uh, where pe can people go to learn more about all the things you're into? I am easy to find um, customer than Bliss, my last name. I married a guy named Bliss. I went all over match.com. No, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> just turned out to be lucky. Customerbliss.com. And um, if you want to email me, it's Jean, J E A N N E. It's the French spelling. Gene at customerbliss.com. I'm always there and I always answer all my own stuff. I'm a real person. That you, you picked the right guy just for the last name. Yeah, right. Lucky me. Being in customer experience and, and bliss, that's that's a good right, one. Worked out. <laughs> all right. Thanks again. I definitely enjoyed this. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you.